Hey, Better Product listeners, we're doing something a little different today. As a bonus, over the next few weeks, we will be resharing past interviews with speakers who'll be presenting at our Better Product Speaker Series. If you haven't heard the plug, this five-week speaker series will be bringing you into the room with industry-leading product professionals to hear countless product insights. If you haven't signed up yet, be sure to grab your spot. You can register by going to betterproduct.community forward slash speaker dash series. And if that's too long of a link to remember, just go to our community site to get connected. Today, we're talking to Yao Inning, founder and CEO of Malomo. Malomo helps e-commerce brands generate more revenue and loyalty by turning their shipment tracking experience into a marketing channel. Yao, it's so awesome to have you on the show today. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I've been, I've been waiting for the invite, so I'm glad I could, I could, uh, I could make an appearance. Thanks a ton. I'm so glad that we get to meet because we are huge fans of yours. Likewise. Likewise. I feel like even back in the day, we, we can, we can kind of talk about that. We've done so much work with, with you and the Innovate Map team. So this is, this is a cool uh, new experience for me. So yeah, let's start with my, my first question, because I actually don't know the answer to this one, but Malomo, what's behind the name? Yeah, that, I love that question. Thank you for, thank you for asking. So it's, it's actually kind of, it's a little bit of a sad story, but, uh, but it's very meaningful to me. So um, before I turned 30, I lost both my, my mother and father. My mom battled cancer for about five years. And, uh, and she developed a pretty rare form of it. It kind of attacked her central nervous system. And so she had to stop moving and, and worked home. Um, she's pretty entrepreneurial herself. And so like loves just making things. And, and, uh, and so she really got into like, like cleansing and, and using different things to make sure that you're like, you're staying pure. And she got really into soap making as a result. And so when she's going through treatments, anybody who'd come to visit her, she'd hand them a bar of soap that she'd made from a recent batch. And then they'd launch into these great stories um, just to reminisce. And you can just see her spirit light up around that. And so, and she'd take the bars of soap to farmer's markets. So she'd kind of sell them uh, anywhere she could. Um, so like during that period, like I just saw like how much the impact of just like spending time in a relationship and, and sharing stories with people mattered. She named that soap company Malomo. And so when she passed, uh, we kind of wanted to honor her name. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the vision for our product is really helping brands and consumers connect and build relationships. And, and shipment tracking is kind of the means of doing that because consumers are paying attention to their order. But it's a way for the brand with that attention to tell their story and connect with their, with their audience in a deeper, more meaningful way. So that's where the name kind of comes from. Wow, that's a great story. It is it's interesting because you're naming it off of something that she named. So now I have to ask, where did she come up with the name Malomo for the soap? I want to get to the, the real source here. <laughs> no, I know. It. So the funny thing is uh, um, we asked her and she's like, I just popped into my head one day. Like, so it's just, so there's, she's, she had no, no rhyme or reason for why that, why that name was what inspired her, but that, that was it. So just a immaculate conception. <laughs> so looking at this industry, that the shipping, there's a bunch of different angles people are taking on it. The shipment tracking seems very specific, at least for, from my perspective, never would have thought of something like that. What was the inspiration behind that for you? So, you know, funny enough, it was my co-founder, Anthony Smith, who like, who uh, really inspired the the early vision of the idea. 
And so we um, are in a consulting agency and, and we were working, building a lot of like early stage tech products and we worked a lot in the, uh, the e-com space. And so a lot of our customers would come to us and ask us like, hey, we want to launch this, this commerce concept. You know, how should we do it? And so we had one customer who, uh, or a client who, um, they, did, they did awesome business. They did high-end children's dress rentals. Uh, you know, when you rent something, you typically need it on a specific date. And so when it doesn't arrive, it creates all these customer support and customer experience problems. Um, the, the platform that we built, it, uh, it helped the, the company manage their inventory. So there's, it's a very different problem to, with rentals. You have, to, you have to look at where each individual item is and what the rental calendar is on that item to predict its availability. And so knowing, knowing where it is in circulation, if it's moving to a customer back from a shipment, and making sure that it is available for the next customer is super important. And so we, we saw that our client would, you know, they'd spend all this time and, and attention, uh, you know, getting the customer to get a rental and then they'd hand off the item to a third party UPS or FedEx. And it was that third party who would, who would mess up and that customer would, would then, you know, they'd be super, super upset. They would complain on social, they'd cancel their order you know, they'd tell the brand they'd never shop with them again. It's emotionally charged. And so we thought, well, that's interesting. Like, why does the brand pay for that, pay for that problem when it wasn't like the experience wasn't in their control to begin with? What if we could give brands, you know, that control, you know, maybe they can't, you know, they can't guarantee that, a, that an order or package is going to arrive, but they can control how the customer feels about that entire experience so that they buy some empathy with them. And they can work through the situation with the customer to turn those problems into unique opportunities to delight that customer and then try to win them over for life. So my, so Anthony, my co-founder, who's like, there's something in this, this tracking thing, like we should, we should kind of do something with it. And I had had an experience buying from a brand called Nomadic. They sell these backpacks. Uh, I kind of got in this weird kick of, you know, I, I was, I was doing a lot of business travel and I was like, I, I just, I would love a, I would love one backpack that I could take a three or four day trip. And, uh, and so I did all this research online. I found this backpack, Nomadic, Nomadic had had a huge Kickstarter campaign, did really well. Um, I bought the backpack and then I was like, I was still trying to like figure out how to like use it and pack for trips. Uh, and so I went to YouTube to try to like find videos and I was like, oh, I wonder if we could combine these two concepts where you got shipment tracking that is knowing where your order is, but while you're waiting for your order, it's a phenomenal time to like engage with the content that I really want and care about. And that's why we kind of combine the two concepts into this more of this post-purchase customer experience platform for e-commerce brands. So it's more than, it's more than just kind of marketing, uh, just like a touch point. It's like, it's like building on that anticipation of getting the thing that you've ordered or kind of bringing you more into the experience of like, cause that's like the best part, right? Is anticipating the thing. Once you get here, you're like, ah, it becomes part of your everyday, but it's like the anticipation. That's the exciting part. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, I forget what that, what there's some research is like, Hey, when are you the most excited? Like when you're going on vacation, it's, it's always the anticipation of it. Right. And like in, 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 uh, I kind of get this feeling like whenever I buy from brand, it's, it's kind of like Christmas. Like I really, I'm really excited for this thing to arrive. I don't want my excitement to be tarnished by the package arriving late for whatever reason or something going wrong with the delivery. And I'm, I'm freaking out because, you know, I just discovered this brand randomly online and hopefully they're like they're a real brand and they're reputable and I, they took my money and something's going to arrive. And, 
And it's really, uh, you know, how do, how do these brands really start to build a relationship with you when you are super excited and you want to hear from them about uh, where your order is? So you're exactly right. And it's kind of combining those two things together. So th- this makes sense from the, the end experience. How do you translate this value to the actual business itself? Do you leverage like, hey, you've got uh, a brand problem because of this? Or is it more on the aspirational side? Like, hey, have you looked at this as a potential way to, to build a stronger relationship? Like, wh- which, which way are you, you kind of leaning when you go to the businesses? Yeah, so we, we've taken a different approach where most shipment tracking tools are sold to the logistics team within an e-commerce company. So logistics cares about getting deliveries out of their warehouse quickly, warehouse efficiency, um, choosing carriers, and kind of optimizing their delivery network. Um, we took a different approach and said, hey, we're going to go after the marketing teams because they're the ones in control of how the brand is portrayed to the customer and, uh, and they should be the ones delivering the messaging around what the warehousing or logistics team is doing with regards to that con- consumer's order. And so typically that the, the marketing leaders will care about three things. The, the biggest one is brand, right? These, these e-commerce companies, are, they've been built off of the perception that they create on platforms like Instagram and Facebook. Image is everything, right? Image is reality. And so, uh, so being able to represent their brand at every single touch point they have with their consumer is incredibly important. And so that, that first play is like, hey, just make, make the post-purchase experience match your beautiful purchase experience. Then the second is usually, hey, we, we've been, especially today in COVID, like delivery problems are occurring on the hour every hour. Uh, and customer support tickets are kind of going through the roof. And so one of the things that our platform does is it, it, it allows brands to proactively communicate delivery progress to, to the end consumer by giving estimated delivery dates, by sending emails or text notifications, and, and, and trying to pro, like proactively look at where delivery problems might occur. And then making it really easy for consumers if they do have a problem to get those things resolved really quickly. Uh, and so that's typically kind of like, hey, this is a this is a really a customer experience or support play. And then the third, and this is kind of the, the big kicker is it's a, it's a marketing channel and we use marketing loosely, but at its most simplest form for, for an e-commerce market, it's how do I drive more transactions? So we, we tend to show products that consumers might find interesting on the delivery emails or the tracking page itself. Our customers will see about a two to 4% repeat purchase rate which is huge for these customers, especially when you think of like, if you've got 10,000 orders, that's another two to 300 people buying while they're waiting for their existing order in, in transit. That's really great margin that they can add into their business and, and continue to accelerate their growth. But then the other side, it's, it's a lot of uh, brands will use this in different ways around like education. So we've got a customer who they use their tracking page as an educational hub to explain how to care for the products that they just bought or they've got a celebrity endorser like using the product in unique ways. So it kind of inspires some, some new ways of thought and thinking for the brand to connect with the consumer. So um, there's kind of those three angles that we try to dive into uh, with a brand. And most of the time the brand cares about all three, but the marketers are like, how do I, how do I make my brand present? Is the customer experience good enough that, uh, that if we deliver it, they will make another purchase either now or, or in the future. Yeah, we can totally see what you're saying. And I, if, if we had this conversation a year ago, I don't know, I wasn't 
really buying many things. And now since we've been home, I bought, and I, I still don't buy personally a lot of things, but just even reflecting on the last pair of shoes I got, it's like, yeah, I'm anxiously waiting with shipping delays. You're like looking and like, that's like a little bit of happiness. I can, I can totally see that. And the education side really makes sense too, because it almost seems too like there's an opportunity for brands to, you know, explain how to do it. Cause there's nothing worse than like when you get something and then like, you don't have the batteries for it or like, <laughs> like, like, or if you got shoes and you don't have the shoe cleaner or whatever it is, or like you, you overlooked like a component piece. So that's, that makes sense too. Does that change uh, the profile of like the type of people you're looking for? Like customers that are already, or brands that are already like customer centered, or do you find a better fit with ones who are maybe lacking in that area and like need like some help? Like what, what is, what does that do for your sort of go to market buyer persona? Um, so we, we, we typically, if from a business perspective, like it's much easier to go after those customers who already recognize like this is a, this is a crucial point in the, of their customer journey. Uh, and so the conversations are much easier. Uh, so typically those are, those are e-commerce merchants who like they lead with brand. They've got a, they've got a broad enough catalog where they're, uh, they're looking to kind of cross on upsell, you know, the, a, a brands like the, a, a lot of their goals are to get people to make purchase two, three, and four, right? Cause purchase one is, is highly expensive. Like they're spending a lot of money on customer acquisition, so getting the customer to buy a second and a third is really important. Um, so th- those, those companies that have a broader catalog to kind of do that is really, is really good. And then, and then um, uh, brands that, that really think, I mean, that, that, that think in that long term where it's, where it's like, hey, we, we've, got, we've got maybe a complex product. Uh, it's hard to understand. And we really need to figure out how to, how to onboard new customers onto the brand and the product are the ones that are really good for us more of the transactional. So you, you, uh, and this is kind of like the, the companies that typically sell on Amazon uh, are not great for us. Cause, cause if you think about this, Amazon is a, is very much a, like a transaction driven commodity driven business, right? I, I've got this need. I don't really care about what the product is. I care more about price. I'm going to go to Amazon and buy it. Um, most of the, the, the companies that we work with are, you know, we are a premium business and you're actually buying, from us because you believe in an, in our mission or our brand and the product is basically kind of a souvenir almost and so it's really important for them to establish that like hey this is our this is what we believe in and if you also believe in these things like you should want to buy our products like you look at Casper right they're not selling you mattresses they're selling you sleep glossy they're selling you education around makeup and new ways to use those products so those are the types of brands that work well with us because they know that this is an opportunity to kind of like broaden their their mind share within within their consumers when you were starting out kind of you know getting the first customers was this a was this what you knew about your customers if these would be the types of brands that would love something like this or is this something you had to kind of experiment with just starting out we had a we had a hunch uh early on that this was this was the type of brand um like we we had spent this was around 2014 2015 is when we started building things on shopify and Shopify was like, it was, it was weird at the time, right? There's like all these independent small retailers, it seemed like, who were like, I just, I have this thing I'm selling online and, and I don't think a lot of people really like understood what that was or like, could you really build a meaningful business? I almost like, uh, I almost look at this in, uh, as a similarity to um, the app store when it just launched. People were like, can you really build an app business and like make that successful? Um, like, how do you make money off of a, 
off of a little app on a phone, um, kind of feeling the same way with the Shopify ecosystem. But like one thing that we saw was like they would spend an inordinate amount of time crafting these stories and using social to like unfold these stories, either that's through ad or through community. So we had an early hunch that like, hey, those, those brands who really are leaning into that, like are probably going to want to use these touch points in unique ways. And it's luckily for us, it's played out that way. But uh, we had, we, like, I can't say that we were like, yes, this is 100% going to work. Like these, these customers, like they're, they're absolutely going to buy this because of this reason. It was more of like, hey, this is, this is what the behavior that we keep seeing. And so if we just match that behavior, like, and, and I think we'll be well positioned to kind of connect with them and, and our, our value proposition will resonate with them. It seems like, well, lately we've been talking about brand a lot on, on this, but I'm going to bring it up again because you keep using the word brands instead of businesses, which I think is a little bit different You're in the e-commerce space. So I'm actually, let me just ask there, why do you say the word brand when you're talking more than say like businesses? Like what, what's behind that? Yeah, I get, I get caught because uh, people will ask me that a lot. They're like, when you say brand, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> we just we use a nomenclature because you, you think like uh, the, the aspiration is it's weird. I, th- I feel like e-commerce has gone through this weird evolution where brand what didn't matter at all. Brand was nothing. Uh, and that's, that, that is, oh, sorry, consumers, they had this renaissance where it's like, hey, I'm paying a bunch of money for Nike mainly because it's got this, the Nike swoosh on it and not necessarily because they've got the best products. I mean, they had phenomenal products and they arguably probably do have the best products on the market, but that was the last pair of shoes I just bought, by the way. So. <laughs> was it Nike's? Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, it's true. Like we all unconsciously kind of like, there's things in our mental mind and model that's like, oh yeah, I, I impart value on this thing because of like what the brand is and what it represents. And then, so I feel like, like, and maybe this is in part like what Amazon did. It's like they stripped brand away. Uh, and so it was like, I think a lot of these early, these early kind of e-commerce companies that launched on Shopify would say, yeah, like you could, you could buy Nike or you could buy a product that's, that's similar product quality. And we're going to cut out all the middlemen that mark this thing up and go to you direct. And, and you're going to love us because you're going to get the same quality product at a much uh, more economically valued price. And so it's like the market shifted from like, okay, brand doesn't matter. So we discover all these products on Instagram. They'd all be great. We buy them. And then what these companies started doing is they said, okay, now that I've acquired this customer, I have to get lifetime value out of this customer. And so I have to now like re-educate them on why brand is important, why my brand is important. So I use brand because they they are, these companies are just mini branding machines. They, they have nailed to, to, uh, to a T like what it means to like connect with consumers in an instant and really gets you to like buy from them because of, again, like what I said before, like the mission, the values, the vision of the company and, and the product is really important, but it's almost like a secondary factor over the long term uh, life of the relationship. That makes sense. It sounds like you're, you're sort of, it's swung back into brands that, that sort of matter and you're, you're focusing on those that care a lot about brand, which seems like it, it means the brand of Malomo itself is important. Do you find that, like, do you find yourself like even your website or your other marketing materials and all that, do you find 
that, that, that you almost have to look inward with your own brain to make sure that it's, that it's hitting at the right level that you're trying to, to, to go after on the customer side? Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like, I feel like the, uh, the ecosystem is moving more towards like every company is becoming a, is, is like building their brand and their marketing and their product is more of a consumer centric view of the world where it's like, uh, Tim Kopp, if you, if, if I'm sure the indie ecosystem knows who Tim Kopp is, is the former CMO of exact target. He used to say it's no longer B2B and it's no longer B2C, it's human to human. Um, and how you have to represent what you're doing has to be on a relationship-driven level. Uh, and so when we look at our own brand, um, it's very much like to match the, the, the tone, the, the swagger of our customer base, like trying to emulate their, uh, what they do. So there, there's a, a gal who's been really successful at, uh, from a consulting perspective, like launching really billion dollar, billion dollar brands. And one of the things that she said is like the, the brands that scale have a very strong point of view. Like they have a, they have almost like a point of view that seems just absurd in the market. It's very polarizing, but it resonates so well with their target audience. Like that it's like it, you wouldn't want to buy any other product if, if you match that persona. Um, I think a lot more companies have to kind of take that stance of like, this is what we believe in our stake in the ground, our value proposition, our, our vision for the world is this. And we're going to communicate that to you as if you, the three of us are having a conversation in the living room, drinking beers. And so that we, we try to like look at our brand and tone and messaging to kind of have that similar vibe of how do we connect with people on a real human level? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, we've been hearing a lot about that too. Like even in the B2B world, brand is like, I think we heard this specifically in regards to Slack that that brand was their mode. Their functionality wasn't specifically new or like revolutionary, but they're bringing things together in a different way. And the brand is really how they, they kept kind of their competitors back. So it's interesting that your brand is for these businesses. I want to say brands. It's saying brand too many times in one sentence for these businesses that have strong brands and want to have strong brand touch points. So how does the brand present itself in the product? Because I would imagine that you might have a strong brand to get people there, but the brand and the product would be more muted. That would be my assumption. Yes, you'd be right. Yeah. Uh, so Shopify, uh, I, I referenced, I mean, I, I referenced Shopify a lot because I think they're doing some, some amazing things. Like they, they, power, they power so much commerce on the internet today that like, um, it's kind of staggering to really realize like how much you're buying from that that company, like how much they're they're powering commerce. And you like most people would never have like an idea or clue that they're like Shopify's doing it. Um, but um, within the community of of people who like use their platform, like they're they're loved. People they've created I hate this word because I just don't like the connotation of it, but they've created this cult like following of like just evangelists. Uh, and so like that, that's when you, when you think about like how, from a B2B perspective, uh, our, our product is very similar where it's like, we want to give our customers complete control to create the customer experience that they want because traditionally the tools on the market have not done that, right? UPS has wanted to own this part of the customer experience. Shopify to extent has not allowed their customers to like completely brand and, and communicate message and market post-purchase in the ways that these companies want to do. And so we've kind of said, you know, yeah, we're going to, we're going to really like put the brand first and foremost, because it's, it's their relationship with their consumer and we're just enabling that to happen 
And then if we can build more of a, a call-out community among our customers, right, where they're sharing Malomo to others, that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to try to dif- differentiate our brand, uh, if you will, to build the business. I love that. So now I want to shift to a couple of more specific questions on the, you know, the type of company you're building with Malomo and acknowledge that we have, we have Yao's time in 2020. And if we had you like in 2025, we probably wouldn't be able to get you on the show at that point. And you barely, you'd barely remember what it was like in 2020. So I want to, for our listeners, because you're an early stage company, like you're closing or have closed on a seed round of funding, but you're having a lot of success. And, and one of the reasons um, we wanted to have you on the show now was to get like a, a, a point in time, like benchmark of, of a product that, that has a strong brand, strong design, strong go-to-market strategy. And just see where you're at right now, because it's, it's one thing for us to have the the Pinterests and the the buffers on the show like that are like people look, look up to. I want to get you early on to talk about that. So with that in mind, um, just kind of want to wrap this with just a little bit of understanding, like what type of company you're growing now and like what's next for you. So we, we've got 11 people on the team today. We've got, I'll probably get this math wrong. We've got three engineers, uh, a head of design and product. We've got a uh, head of customer success, four on the sales team, um, and one in operations. I'm still doing a lot of a lot of selling. So even though we've we've uh, we've got five sales people on the team, it's important to me as a founder to like have a very strong pulse of what the market is saying in this space. I don't know if this is if this is the same in other spaces, but uh, e-commerce marketers are exacting. Like it works or it doesn't, right? They they live and die by the transaction. And so they are acutely aware of like the tools that they use and, and, uh, and how they want those things to work. Um, and so I very much spend a lot of time still talking with, with customers and doing selling so that I can hear those things firsthand and try to disseminate that into the rest of the company. Um, we have just more recently started doing some things to make sure that the rest of the team has a really strong pulse around that where uh, like we, we, uh, we're recording sales calls, uh, we're transcribing them and we're, we're tagging different product features. Um, we're using tools to make sure that we're, we have the voice of the customer kind of, kind of called out and we, we can go and say, hey, we're gonna build this feature and, and we know we should build this feature because 14 customers that I talked to last week said that, that this was a pain point for them. So that's, that's, uh, that's been really important for me to do. As a founder, your time is, time is spread very thin. So the 80% of my time I'm probably spending in sales. The other 80% of my time is, is spent hiring, uh, setting vision, communicating vision, communicating vision, communicating vision. I, <laughs> I have realized how easy it is for, for the whole team to not be in sync with where, where I want the business to go and where the market is and how the product needs to reflect those two things. And then a lot of time is spent with just like partnerships. Like what are the, what are the levers with partners that we can work with uh, that can help open up new, new opportunities for us as a, as a company or that we can, you know, we can, we can kind of help solidify their relationships with their, their customers as well. Um, and then I, I'm always, I'm always fundraising, <laughs> always, always having conversations with, with funds. One to, you know, we we're as we, as we build a product and we, we want to pressure test those things Right, and make sure that like 
um, we can get buy-in from the venture community of, of where they see the opportunities because they're spending a lot more time right in the upper echelon of the, the market. And, and they have a lot more data points as to what other companies in the space are doing and where the white space is. So that, that's good to kind of talk with funds and get those perspectives, but also obviously build relationships for, for the next rounds of financing. Yeah, you said 80% and 80%, but after listening to all those, I, it does sound like you have somehow 160% of the time of all of us. So <laughs> it's amazing. What, what's next? Uh, what, so as you, you, you get this next round of investment, you have 11 people, you've made it this far. You've, see, it sounds like you've found pretty good success so far with your offering to the market. What, what is next for Malomo? How do you, how do you view where you spend uh, the investment that you have now over the next 18 months? Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, we've kind of proven that the product today is needed and the, the need for it is accelerating. Uh, and so we are, we're right now building repeatable channels around kind of customer acquisition. So um, like most of the investment is going into team and it's almost split in half to the go-to-market team and the product team. Uh, in the e-com space in particular, like a lot of, a lot of companies are product-led because you know that you're going after uh, predominantly SMB customers, and it's incredibly important to be capital efficient. And so you've got to figure out ways in which you can acquire customers through product and invest pretty heavily in in product. So for the most part, like on the product side specifically, like the investments are going into integrations. So there's there's a there's really a go to tech stack in the e-com space, just like probably many other. Uh, many other tech markets where you want to be able to give your customers the ability to to share information and share functionality or kind of kind of level up your product um, through integration with with others. Uh, and so we're spending a lot of our time kind of building uh, integrations with with key partners that would be also great on the on the kind of the sales and marketing side to bring us to bring us new customers. But that that's where that's where a big part of our focus is is is. Uh, is shifting the business to on the product side more of a product-led growth motion where we spent the last kind of 18 months just brute force getting customers any any way we could uh there's no there's no science to it it's all kind of art in 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 elbow grease and then really kind of transitioning the company now towards what's what's the repeatable ways in which we grow grow the business and that's that's through product and through through acquisition so can can I get you to commit to your website having having no contact for a demo button by 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 next year? That's that's great. I'll write that down and send this to my product team. I'm just trying to get you to say <laughs> yes to that question, and then we can have it on there. That's like 100. Ann and I are on a mission to get the try or contact for a demo button gone from from all websites. <laughs> that's so great. That's such a good mission. I love it. Well, Yao, thank you so much for sharing your time. We'll have to talk again more uh, over the next you know months and years, as long as we can get you until you start putting us off to your like, I don't even know what, what <laughs> eventually we'll have to talk to your head of product and then like just yeah. one lowly engineer. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for taking the time uh, to spend there. And uh, we're happy to have you on the, on the show and, and talk about Maloma and what you're doing. And, and I, I do think it's significant 
in the Midwest to surface, I think, a, a product that's focusing on something aside from, from B2B SaaS. We've got a lot of that, but, but I appreciate you sharing that too, because I think a lot of, uh, a lot of our listeners are looking for more inspiration on, on building a product that, that has a different focus where maybe they're saying the word brand instead of business or you know, consumer instead of SMB. So I uh, appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. Yay. Thank, thanks so much for, for having me. Uh, you guys, you, as a pillar in the community, I feel like you are, you are leading the charge with, with product-driven companies. And, and this type of content is invaluable. So thank you guys for doing this for the community. I think it's super important. That was awesome to have Yao. And I know for a lot of our listeners are not in the indie tech scene, but at least in the indie tech scene, um, you know, he's one of the most, you know, well-respected early stage founders and building an amazing product. So I, I, I was glad that we got to have him on the show, like while he's like on, on the upswing, because, you know, a lot of the details that he can speak about are, are fresh in his mind and they won't be forever, but um, that was great to have him. So I'll, I'll kick it off with the first thing that, that I, I picked up on, and I'm sure it'll segue with, with things that, that you heard, which is early on in the interview, he was talking about how they sold a Malomo to uh, marketing teams rather than logistics teams. And that makes a lot of sense when you think that logistics teams are probably focused on efficiency and shipping coordination and all of that. So their product is it's about brand, it's about customer experience that's not necessarily something logistics team even necessarily cares about, like you said. So instead, they go after the marketing teams, which are tasked with that. And so while that seems pretty obvious the way he said it, I did pick up on it because we do talk to startups a lot that have really great ideas. And sometimes they spend a lot of effort trying to get the ideas to resonate with their buyer. And sometimes it's just going after the wrong buyer, that they had this great idea and they thought about logistics and think about marketing, realize actually it's going to work a lot better with that. So I think making that decision of pairing the idea with the right person inside the org is a really important decision that they made early on. Yeah, it seems like one of those classic disruptor techniques that you could like learn about when you're like learning about like, you know, new innovations is that idea that you take a similar product, like the product is for tracking shipping. I mean, that is what, it's, what it comes down to is it, it's a product that exists, but it's like they put in a lot more functionality, focus it on marketing and they sell it to the marketing team. So it really is like shifting the functionality and shifting the buyer. And that has, it's almost, it, and that's category creating for them. Yeah. And if I like reflect, like to your point, all the attempts at this now, I don't really want to diss, I don't know all the companies behind these other ones, but it's like when shipping tracking came out, I think we were all like, oh, this is amazing. You can track it. But when you look at shipping tracking now, it's like, I don't really care that it was like, oh, it left the distribution warehouse and it's on a truck and it's headed to some other city I've never heard of. And you're like, this isn't like, you're looking on a map, like, is it getting closer? Is it getting farther away? So to your point, it's almost like that's been the approach. He's disrupting it by saying, what if you actually rethought what that space was for? And then there was great opportunity there. But then that leads, I think, to, to the next big point, which is really his focus on, on brand. What, what, what did you take away? I mean, of all the things he talked about brand, what was the, the main thing that you took away from it? I love to talk about cycles and things coming and going. That's like one of my favorite, I don't know ways to talk about the world or see like those macro trends where things come and go and when people tie what they're doing to that i just love that when he mentioned the idea that you know originally like you know we we were buying from brands like we're buying nike you know you're you're buying something and maybe it's not the best quality but it's the brand and and people really started to kind of 
turn against that and fight against that. And, and really we're going to more, uh, looking for quality or looking for something totally different. And, you know, so then, uh, you know, people just wanted to buy and they wanted to buy something. So then you have like more of the Amazon experience where the brand is completely stripped away and you're just buying the thing. And the thing that what you're really comparing is, which is the cheapest gadget that I need. And, but then talking about how their Instagram and how these like smaller brands come up, these these brands that mean something and stand for something. Personally, a brand that I really, really love is like Wild Fang and Wild Fang specifically targets, you know, queer women. That's who they are. That's who they target. That's who's in all of their that they're showing, you know, who's modeling their clothes, like people who are very androgynous, gender non-binary. But I buy clothes from them like I buy clothes from Target but it feels so different when I buy their clothes because they stand for something that I stand for um and so focusing on those people now that so it's almost like like he said brand is back but it's almost back in a different way and and those being his buyers it makes sense that you are joining into the brand experience when you buy the product beyond just buying the product yeah and I I don't want to speculate too much on like these macro trends but you you mentioned it and he even quoted and I don't I don't want to do like a shots fired sort of thing but he said Amazon stripped the brand away which I mean really I think you don't think anybody disagree and like Amazon has their own line of things like Amazon Basics which is basically just like brandless things that are there which is which is okay but I I I was thinking as you were talking too um cuz I'm thinking about our audience and how they build products for you know all different you know types of markets it's like the, it's almost the impact of what these pervasive platforms can create in any market. I mean, Amazon debranded uh, everything because they just got so monolithic. They became all about efficiency, which then created this growing counter demand for brand and customer experience that wasn't rebelling against Amazon, but it was just like, well, where do the rest of us go that actually do care about that? And that's what Malomo is kind of writing on. And I I wonder if those opportunities will spring up in other areas where like these massive platforms take over, make maybe even, you know, the way that, you know, say Slack takes over chat. I mean, maybe that, maybe as that becomes more monolithic in, in, in things that there will create more, you know, custom, you know, form fitted. I, I would say even like discord as a competitor to Slack, it's got this like say niche community, but this community of like gamers and, and people working in alternative like industries, like really love discord, not necessarily as a reaction to Slack, but almost just like it serves that really niche market. I wonder if we'll see other like Slack, you know, competitors that, that also spring up too, that are really more brand focused. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't, again, this is probably a trend or, or a book that someone told me about secondhand. And I can't remember the book or the idea or where it came from, but the idea like things like there's, there's times of bundling and times of unbundling and that, you know, maybe right now we're in a time of unbundling where brands are kind of splitting apart, but eventually things will bundle back together and then it'll split again. Well, hopefully we figure out who wrote that book by the time this goes live. Otherwise, you will get quoted, which is totally fine too on the internet. Is when in doubt, just don't cite it, and it's your your words. Yeah, mm-hmm. you heard that. You said here. that. I said that. That's right. And that was Abraham a quote Lincoln. By me. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, 1972. to the show this week. If you're looking for more resources on how to design, build, market, and sell better products, then head over to betterproduct.community to join, well, the community. And as always, we're curious, what does better product mean to you? Shoot us an email at podcasts at innovatemap.com.